Welcome to the Don't Get Hurt Twice podcast. My name is Jay Chad Parker. I'm a personal injury trial lawyer who's board certified in personal injury trial law. These podcast topics are meant to help you uh, in legal situations, usually involving some type of injury where you might need a personal injury lawyer or you might have a personal injury case. Today, we're going to expand the topics into one of the most fearful uh, things that uh, people have to do uh, in these cases sometimes, which is give testimony. In, in most instances, cases do not go to trial. They're settled oftentimes, but in many instances, uh, as a participant in your own case, you're going to have to give a, a deposition, and uh, that makes people extremely nervous. Um, as I've told you before, I was a defense lawyer for 20 years, uh, and I have probably uh, participated in uh, somewhere between two and 3,000 depositions. I've seen just about anything happen that can happen. I've prepared uh, both sides of the people uh, involved in giving testimony. That is, I've prepared people who we are defending, and I've prepared people uh, who are making a claim uh, to be prepared for the kind of questions that they're likely to field. Now, the best thing you can do to get prepared for your deposition is to have a lawyer that actually prepares you. Uh, he or she uh, should meet with you before the deposition. Uh, in most instances, uh, 30 minutes before the deposition may not be enough time for you to get comfortable with what's about to happen. What you want to do is is have a meeting uh, a day before, a few days before, where you get a chance to visit about the issues in your case. A lawyer can provide you a lot of information about um, the rules of the road, uh, how it's going to be so it'll be familiar to you on the day that you give your deposition. For instance, uh, when you hear questions in a formal setting while you're under oath uh, that you've heard before, your comfort level uh, will be a lot higher. There's a lot of questions that are simply, where are you from? Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, what is your educational level? Things, they're easy to answer. Those are the types of things uh, that shouldn't be difficult for you at all. And generally, that's how the deposition starts. And so it allows you to ease your way in to the deposition, if you will. At some point, though, the questions get more difficult uh, and they get more personal. What you got to think about is the perspective of the person that's asking you the questions. They are obviously adversarial to you. Doesn't mean they have to be mean to you or ugly, but what it means is they're looking. And they're probing for issues that they think might affect the value of your case. That is, make it worth less for different reasons. One of the reasons is credibility. We'll talk about that first. You know, how you present yourself at a deposition as far as personal hygiene, your appearance is something that um, is reported to insurance companies as to how, what kind of appearance do you make? Why is that important? Well, if the case were to go to trial, uh, their impression, they think, may be the same impression that a jury has of you, and uh, that may be positive or that may not be very positive, depend on how you show up uh, for your deposition that morning. So you want to you wanna look good. Now, you don't want to dress um, as if you're going to a funeral or overstate anything. So looking, um, you know, presentable and appropriate uh, and being prepared to answer questions starts really with your ability to, to create a first impression for the defense lawyer, which is what you're really after. Now, you can expect that your personal history has been thoroughly explored. 
First of all, I'm sure there's been a criminal record check done on you to find out whether or not you have multiple criminal convictions, multiple traffic citations, other accidents in the past. All of these things will become relevant in the questioning. It's also something you need to think about. For instance, people get really nervous when they're asked a question about a DWI that they got 15 years ago. And people, I see it, they get red in the face, they're embarrassed. But what I tell them all, look, that's not admissible. Under most circumstances, that's never going to come into court. So don't worry about it. Just don't lie about it or don't fail to tell them about it, lest some of the things that were otherwise inadmissible become admissible. And that's because they can use those things to impeach a witness. All of this goes back to what we've been talking about, which is credibility. Now, obviously, uh, if there's a question maybe about who is at fault, then maybe your previous driving record uh, may be of some importance. But most of the time, if it was the other person's fault, that's really not a big issue. The bigger issue would be other car accidents, because one of the foundational defenses of defense lawyers, that is, uh, lawyers that are hired by the insurance company, is to try and find ways in which or times in which you may have been hurt other than the car accident that we're talking about. Uh, If you've had two accidents in the past, you can expect them to get your hospital records, uh, find the medical records of the treatment if you had some in the past, and try to connect those injuries, whether they be low back and neck or something similar, similar to the accident that we're here on uh, or, or, or you're presently involved in. So you need to assume when you're testifying that the lawyer and the insurance company has this information. You don't hope that they don't and hope that they don't find it, lest you'll be made to look like you're not uh, telling the truth. And that, of course, uh, affects your credibility. Imagine a jury who hears a person deny that they were in an accident when they were in one previous to the one that they're there to talk about. Uh, That makes a lot of things that that person says, such as uh, the extent and nature which they say they're hurt, how bad the car wreck was, that can affect the case. I have a perfect example. I've got a case going right now, and it, it really was a great case for what it was until my client made some mistakes in the deposition. Now, I don't think it was intentional, but I think it's one of those mistakes that it's hard for lawyers to prepare these type of clients uh, not to make. Some people are extremely nervous. Some people are fairly um, calm and comfortable. Well, my client was extremely nervous, and she was a young 19-year-old girl who'd never done anything like this before. And what had happened in her case, uh, and we had talked about it, it was in her medical records, and it was no secret to anybody. So what I'm saying is, the point is, there's no motivation to lie, to not tell them about it, to, to be less than truthful. Well, she was in a car accident six months after the accident that we had a lawsuit on, okay? And it was clear she'd had all of her treatment before that second accident. She'd had an MRI. She'd had a um, referral to a neurosurgeon for a herniation, a single herniation in a 19-year-old spine at L5-S1. It was clear without any other degenerative changes that the standard that we're, we're up against in a deposition or medical testimony, that is, is to a reasonable degree of medical probability. So it was clear. And the doctor that saw her said, essentially, 
She doesn't need a surgery today. She doesn't need a surgery tomorrow, but it's medically probable in 10 or 15 years, she is, it's medically probable that she will have uh, back problems related to this injury now that will result in a surgery. Now, how did she, how did she complicate that? Well, how she complicated that was she was confronted, and this is the way it happens. They don't show you something so that you have the benefit of remembering and denying it. What they do is simply just ask you, well, miss, uh, have you been involved in any car accidents since the one we're here on today? She said, no. She said, he said, no. She said, no. Um, she was very nervous, as I said, otherwise. He even followed up and said, well, have you been to the emergency room, which she had on that occasion? And she said, no. And that's all it took. At that point, um, nervous or not nervous, um, it's difficult to get around that uh, unless you end up settling the case, one, and it's not an issue, or two, you go try the case and the jury sees your client and believes that that's a reasonable explanation for what happened. Otherwise, chances are, uh, if there's 12 jurors, uh, many of them may think that uh, she was being less than truthful. Um, and I have the benefit of the preparation, the conversations with her, the knowledge of what's in the medical records to know that this is not what her intention was, but that was the effect. And so back to the point that I started with, which is you need to understand your past accident injury history as you lead up to your deposition testimony, because one, it's either already known or it will become known in the deposition. And after it becomes known in the deposition, the next step that will happen is those doctors or healthcare providers that you've identified, those records will be ordered. They will be scoured. Other healthcare providers that are contained within those records, they will order those records. They will back up and backtrack um, many, many years. What are they doing? They're looking for a single complaint or multiple complaints of the same injury or injuries that you're complaining of in this accident. And in many instances, as you all know, neck pain from, say, a rear-end collision and whiplash, as well as back pain, are probably the most common complaints. Now, those are also very common complaints uh, for people who did too much in the yard over the weekend, uh, maybe were moving and were lifting things they weren't normal to. And those muscle sprains or strains may show themselves, but uh, usually those don't last very long. And so defense lawyers, what they'll try to do is to use those complaints of pain in the past as evidence that you had those complaints and that they carried forward up until the date of the accident. Now, if you've got a lawyer uh, that's a good communicator, uh, a good advocate on your behalf, of course, he or she will do things, hopefully, uh, with property damage uh, in photographs of the vehicles and things of that nature to suggest that this was something that truly uh, could lead to these type of uh, complaints that you're making. But at the end of the day, uh, a settlement with an insurance company is a voluntary payment by them uh, for what happened to you. Now, in a deposition, uh, they explore your personal background, uh, your education, your work history. And, and generally, they do that because some people, if they're injured and they miss work, they make a loss, what's called lost wage claim. That is, I lost these wages because I was off of work for this amount of time. 
because I was injured to the point where I could not work. And so, uh, you, you know, your, your employment history becomes important, one, to verify you were, in fact, employed at the time uh, and, and the rate of pay that you were making, and two, to see whether or not, uh, you know, you had other jobs in the past. And they'll also explore your credibility through your past work history if it's sporadic or you went to a different employer every six months and didn't seem to ever really stay in one place very long. Now, some cases that are more serious, people might be injured to the point where they can no longer return to the field of work at the rate of pay that they had made in the past. Now, that's called loss of earning capacity. And so that's, that's you know, that doesn't happen as much, but uh, someone could say be in what's called a heavy uh, work job. That is, there were heavy lift requirements involved. And maybe somebody had a back surgery because of an accident that led to a double fusion uh, and restrictions by the neurosurgeon thereafter that uh, restricted them to no more than 20 pounds of lifting. Well, in that instance, you can see how the injury, the resulting surgery, had taken this person out of the ability to earn the type of money that they may have earned uh, in the past. So that's why your work history is going to be explored in a deposition. Your educational history as well, because, I mean, depending on your level of education, you might be able to get another job with credentials, degrees, if you will, that you may have that would offset any loss of earning capacity claim. Now, after that, uh, many times what will happen is uh, lawyers will begin to explore um, the medical records. That is, the treatment that you've had in this particular case, and it's really fairly straightforward. Most car accidents um, and, and injuries of many kinds start off at either an ambulance ride or simply an emergency room visit for the initial evaluation and stabilization of what those injuries are. It's important uh, to not get concerned uh, if, for instance, you had neck pain when you went to the emergency room and that was the day of the accident. And uh, a day after that, you develop low back pain as well. Most doctors, when I've deposed them in the past, will admit that people don't really feel the full effects of their injuries for about 48 hours. So it's not really uh, something you need to concern yourself with. If you're accurate uh, at the emergency room, and, and I suggest if you're, ever, if you're ever going to the emergency room because of a car accident or an injury caused by someone else, that you be extremely specific. What I mean by that, sometimes people only report uh, that which is bothering them the most. Uh, and they leave out maybe a right knee complaint that was bothering them at the emergency room. And that right knee had not had enough time to be walked on thereafter, continually inflamed, which led to the need for a knee surgery. Now, it became and, and could become the most prominent injury, but what it looked like was just peripheral or something minor at the emergency room, especially if it goes unreported. And so what I would do and what I would suggest is that you report all your complaints uh, so that the emergency room at least has a chance to document them all. Now, it's a good idea to go over your medical records, the records we're talking about, because you'll be asked in a deposition right off the bat when you start talking about the medicine, hey, tell me all your complaints. And, you know, it's helpful if you've read your medical records in remembering, you know, what you said back then, and it may be a year and a half from the time you went to the emergency room. So you 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 get a good perspective on what you complained of because it's likely 
after you were discharged from the emergency room, if you have a case in which you're given a deposition, you probably went on to some therapy, some chiropractic treatment, and maybe saw some other specialists. And so it's kind of easy to remember chronologically where you went and why you went. And you want to think about that as you prepare for your deposition. The reason being so you can communicate uh, things like, well, if you're asked, why did you go to therapy? Well, I wasn't getting any better. I'd been given some medications from the emergency room and they didn't seem to help and I was out of them. That may be an answer. Uh, Also, you know, therapy that is exercise of some sort promotes healing and oftentimes leads to people getting uh, recovered faster. Uh, You know, your lawyer will be able to talk to you a lot lot about the things that are helpful and still truthful. I mean, there's, there's not a difference there. Some people um, may look like they're not telling the truth or not telling a good truth for themselves simply because they don't, they're not used to talking. They're not used to answering questions. There can be things that they never thought of that if they're mentioned to them in a preparation for a deposition that are still true and they never would have thought about them. And oftentimes that helps um, a person testify in such a way that makes them seem like a more credible witness. So. Expect your entire medical history in the past as well as after the accident to be explored thoroughly, such as if you're complaining of knee pain, have you ever had knee pain before? If so, when? How did it happen? Did it resolve? You know, you run through these questions in your mind ahead of time, and uh, the more yeses and nos you can provide, the better off you are. I mean, um, a lot of times what I see people do that makes the deposition go longer, oftentimes reveals things that the other lawyer would never know, and it, and really just kind of frustrates the process, is a person who tries to teach. Your job in a deposition is not to teach anybody anything. Your job is to tell the truth while at the same time trying to convey as accurately as possible what happened to you, what you felt, and what you want the other side to know about. Um, you know, if you get asked a specific yes-no question, the answer should be a specific yes or no. It should not be, yes, let me tell you about this, that, and the other. And that's one of the common things that I see people do that are, one, nervous, and two, haven't been prepared properly to give testimony. So as, as the lawyer works he or, or, or her way through the medical part, uh, of your medical records, and, and it could be tedious and it could be uh, a slow process depending on the skill level of the lawyer. Look, it, the younger or the least experienced the lawyer, the longer this is going to likely take because they're going to be using an outline. The older and more experienced the lawyer, uh, it's likely going to go quicker. Uh, the primary issues are going to be addressed and the peripheral issues issues like you know, how many times have you been married and things of that nature won't take on as much importance. But once, once they get through the, the medical, um, then the last question to really resolve or to talk about is how the accident happened. There's, in most instances, there's a police report, okay? In some, there's not. But in most instances, there's a police report. And, um, you know, the strengths and the weaknesses of a police report for deposition testimony uh, are the things that you should be thinking about and prepared to answer. For instance, it's always true that the officer was not there when the accident happened. 
That's always true, unless they happen to be see it, and which is normally not the case at all. So it's really a way for the officer to talk to both sides and get the story down. And if there happens to be a witness or witnesses, then uh, their name and information may be concluded. The officer makes a judgment to decision. That is, one, uh, there may be a ticket or a citation issued. And two, there may be some contributing factors uh, that he or she felt caused the accident. Now, citation and ticket. This is a good time for me to um, explain something that can happen that's really not intended. I've asked people before if they got a citation uh, in a particular action. They've told me no. I've looked and seen that they got a ticket, and I confronted them with the difference, and they, they've told me before they didn't understand what a citation was. So there could be a language barrier or an understanding level uh, that needs to be cleared up. And oftentimes it has to do with a ticket or citation, and more importantly in this case, an accident. Now that seems almost straightforward to ask somebody, have you ever been in an accident? I've had numerous clients tell me, no, I've never been in an accident. And then I talk to them further, and then they tell me about some kind of other accident, and I ask them, well, uh, you told me you weren't in an accident. And they said, well, that was a fender bender. I wasn't hurt, or I didn't have a claim or a lawsuit. And so what you want to do is really be thinking about kind of a definition that I've come up with myself, which is if there's an involuntary contact made with an object or another vehicle, you've been in an accident for the purpose of answering the deposition questions. And so I usually go over that for sure, because what happens is a defense lawyer, um, you know, uses that as impeachment, as if somehow there's something suspicious there uh, that my client didn't want them to know about. And uh, if happened to have back pain from back then or some episode then, of course, they make it seem as if they've been hurt from then till this time and they weren't hurt in the accident that we're, we're here on. But all of these things leading up to the accident uh, get you ready for the accident report itself because the accident report is authoritative. It's a governmental document. It's a Texas Peace Officer's Crash Report, and it has boxes for opinions of the police officer. For instance, when the officer talks to you they usually say something like, one, do you need an ambulance? Or two, are you all right? Are you okay? Now, the officer's opinion finds its way in that report as either an N, which stands for no injury, or C, possible, or some other letters that have escalating severity of injuries. A lot of people are asked by police officers, uh, do they want an ambulance? And they say, no, I don't need one. And sometimes that ends up being an N. Um, sometimes they say, uh, you know, I'm hurting, but you know, my car is drivable. I don't want to go to the ER and they'll put a C, which means possible injury. And so defense lawyers will overstate the importance of the N and the C, depending on what you have in an action report. And I suggest to you that you be prepared to explain exactly what your thought process was. That is, I was hurt. I told him that I didn't want an ambulance. I didn't say I wasn't hurt. You be prepared to be that specific. Or I wasn't really feeling anything. I was just kind of shaken up at the time. And no, I didn't feel like I needed to go to the emergency room. If there's a C, then just recall what it was that you might have told the officer. Like, I think my neck is stiff or it's hurting already and it seems to be getting worse. Be prepared to address that. 
Because that's the most common gotcha moment that I see in the depositions. And I'll give you another example. I represented a woman uh, from Palestine, Texas, and she was from the Philippines. And and she was married to somebody in Palestine. And, uh, you know, she spoke perfect English and understood exactly. But she was naively honest, I guess is a good way to put it. And and she had clearly told the lawyer throughout the deposition that she got hit in the head and a knot had come up on her head. Okay. Now, the actual report, as far as injury severity, there was an N, that is, as in no injury. But she was smart and we had prepared for this. The lawyer said, Well, are you saying that the police officer got this wrong? In, in an effort to create this false tension between law enforcement and the plaintiff, which is what they do. Like there's some kind of, are you calling them a liar? Are you saying they're mistaken? Well, no. And she did the perfect thing. She answered. She said, I've told you the entire deposition that I had a knot on my head when I was talking to him. Now, I don't know if he thought that was an injury or not, but I did tell him I didn't need an ambulance. And that's what happened. And that's why I didn't go to the emergency room. And so usually that's that's probably the end of the deposition. Unless, unless they have something, Facebook is becoming more and more a source of, hey, is this you in Cancun three months ago? Is that you cliff diving? Um, Is that you, uh, are you parasailing? Now, what did you say was wrong with your neck and your back? You know, Facebook is really, it's the new gotcha area. And people are so, uh, you know, involved in social media that they really forget that that's open to investigation. And it's investigated, and it's commonly used. I mean, because videos that you post, they hear things that you say. uh, They see where you've been. I mean, you can be thoroughly investigated and then confronted with what looks like physical activity that may be inconsistent with the injuries you claimed at the time uh, that you were claiming them. Specifically, I mean, if there was a Facebook post or something along uh, the social media side that had you complaining about pain at a certain time of a month, and there were some medical records in that general same time period where, um, you know, uh, you were suggesting you, you were in severe pain, then, you know, optically, if those are shown to a jury, that may be difficult for you to explain. Now, there are subtle differences in and in, in, in knowing those and being prepared by your lawyer to explain them are helpful. For instance, a lot of times people that have neck and back pain, um, when they get up in the morning and get loose, it's not near as bad. Okay, And a lot of times physical therapy is done in the morning. As the day goes on, you've been on your feet all day. Your pain that was reported at a three or a four at physical therapy that morning might actually be a seven or an eight. Well, guess what questions you get asked? Well, I see here that you're uh, complaining of a two. Is that what your pain was? And you don't think to tell them, and they certainly don't ask because they don't want to know, hey, you know, my pain was about twice as bad just from being on my feet and being at work. And that, you know, uh, the the number, the, they call it a VAS scale, okay? And really what it is, it, it's it's a group of of from smiley to frowny faces. That's all it is. That's how really, um, you know, basic it is. They say, hey, point to which face looks like you. And depending on which you point to, they say, well, that's a two, that's a three out of 10, with 10 being the worst pain 
that you could imagine. And so this is very subjective. But if you're constantly reporting a two from the word go and then having physical therapy in the morning, which is where you're reporting it, and then later on being in significantly more pain, it's going to be difficult to convince people because people tend to believe what's in the medical records. And so at the, towards the end of the deposition, you prepare yourself for if you've said something you know is not true, it may come back up. You're going to see the Facebook uh, book post. You may hear some questions about your past criminal activities and criminal convictions, uh, driver's license, tickets, uh, anything else. Uh, that may uh, impact your potential credibility and or impeach you, which is allow the jury to see something that they otherwise wouldn't see because you didn't tell the truth or you weren't accurate. Um, Also, the lawyer is there to size you up. And this is what I'll say kind of in conclusion. The lawyer sizing you up, you know, do you make a good witness? Are you convincing in what happened to you both with regard to who caused the accident and what happened to you? Or do you seem to exaggerate? Do you seem to be a person who's trying uh, to convince someone to get someone? Because most of the time, previous accidents won't be admissible. But certainly the insurance company knows about them when they investigate you initially. When they learn of them through the lawyer, the lawyer reports them. And of course, they become suspicious. And that affects values that they offer you. That's been my experience. And so you just want to uh, do your very best to come across, be prepared, uh, look nice, be truthful, uh, be able to explain things that you know they're asking about that leave questions that don't hurt them but hurt you. I hope today's been helpful. Uh, we've just touched the surface on taking a deposition, but these are some of the benchmarks, some of the big ideas that may make you more comfortable, may allow you to do a better job, and ultimately help you from getting hurt twice.